Welcome to another edition of Politics Done Right. We are continuing with a better human story with its creator, its writer, its producer, Andy Schmuckler. Andy Schmuckler, who is a prize-winning author from the and the former Democratic candidate for Congress in Virginia. It's very rich, Shenandoah Valley. And hey, Kuma, La- Kuma, how do you say that? Suma, Suma. Kum Laude, graduate of Harvard University, a PhD awarded with distinction in a program specially created to accommodate his original theory explaining how civilization has developed and a frequent columnist in newspapers around the United States. Welcome once again to continue our long-running series, A Better Human Story. How are you doing today, Sanir? I'm fine. I'm fine. Looking forward to this as usual. Well, we are going to take a step back today because um, I want people to see the type of person, how you jumped into the fold, into the political fold, that is. I think it's probably 10 years ago or so. 2011, uh, I became a candidate for Congress. For Congress. So what I want to start, the way I want to start, I want you guys to listen to uh, Andy Schmuckler, Andrew Schmuckler, of 12 years ago. Or maybe, is it, yeah, 12 years well, ago. yeah. Next candidate is Andy Smuckler for Congress. He's making his way up. His theme is Truth for Change. So what's at stake in these contests we have at the national level? Will it be Barack Obama or Mitt Romney? Will it be Tim Kaine or George Allen? Will it be me or Bob Goodlatte? Well, it would be nice to say it would be, it's just a matter of will the better man win. That would certainly do well for all of us, I think. <laughs> but uh, it's a lot bigger than that. It would be nice if we could also say it's a matter of will we have liberal solutions to our nation's problems or conservative solutions to our nation's problems. Oh, I wish, it were the, if the, I wish that were the case, but it's not. This Republican Party that we have now is not our father's Republican Party. It is neither conservative nor interested in dealing with our problems. This is a party which has become unlike anything we've ever seen at center stage of American politics. We have to recognize that we're dealing with something which is different from what we're used to, which is showing a dark and sick and broken spirit that has taken over a once great party. broken spirit and various patterns that I've been spending my last eight years observing. It is a spirit which is never, is, never has enough of either wealth or power. Even though we have the greatest income inequality that we've had in living memory, this force is working to widen that gap still further with the Ryan budget that Bob Goodlatte has voted for, with Mitt Romney's tax proposals. All of them take from average Americans to give to those who already have the most. Even though we have a political system that's already been been warped away from that one person, one vote, this court, this force has given us a Supreme Court that's handed down that disgraceful decision and citizens united, putting our government up for auction. All men are created equals getting swamped by the almighty dollar. This is a force that makes a fight over everything. When Barack Obama tried to reinstitute 
Cooperation is a dynamic in our political system by proposing Republican ideas as a solution to genuine American problems. All of a sudden, what they had proposed as crap and trade became socialism. What they had proposed as an individual mandate became unconstitutional. What they had proposed became called death paddles. This is a force which is appealing always to the worst in people, not feeding our faith, hope, and love, but feeding our hatreds and fears. And it's a force which is consistently dishonest. All of its communications are coming from someplace other than something that is genuine in trying to impart something to other people that they themselves deeply believe. And that is their Achilles heel. Because the only way a force like this can have power is by deceiving people into believing that they are something that they are not. Which is why what brings me here unexpectedly in my life cycle to be a political candidate for public office. When I was 15, my dad told me why I was not cut out to be a politician. <laughs> dad said, you're too straightforward. You insist on saying what you really think. And that's not how politics works. <laughs> and I saw that he was right. That was 50 years ago. And in those 50 years, I have sought the truth about what it is, why it is that some societies serve their people well, while other societies hurt them. And in all those 50 years, I never thought I would run for political office. Until now. Now the dishonesty in our politics has become so bad, and the lies from this gang that's hijacked the Republican Party are so often defeating the truth, that I figure now is the time for someone like me to have the truth-telling needs its champions. And that's why I'm running to replace Bob Goodlatte. district that we can, that, that is, needs to be done on a national basis, which is to expose to the good, decent, conservative people of our country, of our district, that the force that they're supporting is not the friend of their own deep values. It is not conservative, and we can see that by the way they trample on our political traditions, like on the debt ceiling, which we don't deal with that way, like the filibuster that we do not use that way. A conservative understands you don't just sweep your traditions aside. You honor them. You protect them. They're there for a reason. But not this group. They're not conservative. They're not patriotic. We now know that even before President Obama was inaugurated, they met together to say, we're going to make this president fail. And I, I don't think there's been a single time that an opposition party has made that their priority, but especially the time of national crisis when we had two wars that they had botched, when we had a health care crisis that was bankrupting us from the federal government through the businesses of families, but especially at a time when the whole American economy and the global economy were on the edge of an abyss, you don't want the president to fail if you're a patriot. If the president fails, we only got one of them at a time, the country fails, and tens of millions of Americans suffering. No real patriot would ever want to do that. This Republican Party 
is a fraud. It is based on lies. You can see that in Ryan's speech last week. You can see it in every utterance. I can see it in the emails I get from Bob Goodlack. They pretend to be one thing. They are another. The truth is our weapon. Let's go fight that battle and win. Andy, 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 that was your first uh, your first video, I think, that went viral. And it went viral at just the right time. Tell us a little, little bit about what got you into, first of all, deciding to run for Congress. Well, I had, um, I had been watching the dark force taking over the uh, Republican Party. Um, you could go back to the early 90s when I was watching Rush Limbaugh poison people's minds. And, and and that's what led me to do radio out here in the Shenandoah Valley, which uh, I love doing, but we've talked about that before. But then uh, in 2004, I saw something bigger and deeper. And we've talked about that. I I, I saw, well, we, we talked about evil, you know, uh, we don't have to go there, but I saw that in 2004. And I, when Barack Obama was elected, I was so thrilled. I really felt that the country had been saved. I, I love the guy, but um, he really had no clue about what he was dealing with. And um, uh, there's just stories. I, 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 I sent him uh, through, through the Baltimore Sun an open letter to Obama telling him he had to fight the fight he was elected to fight, not forfeit it. But anyway, so in 2010, uh, I went to, to vote um, in, in the midterms and, and, and my representative, Republican Bob Goodlatte, was running unopposed. I, I saw I registered that. Well, what a waste of a platform. You know, you're not going to win out here. I mean, it's just not in the cards, but you can get attention. But why didn't anybody step up? But I wasn't right. thinking. I wasn't thinking about me. Uh, in, in that speech, I say my father indicated why I wasn't cut out to be a politician. Yeah, he so, said that you're too straightforward. You came too much to the point. You say what you really think, and that's not the way politics works, you know. So I wasn't going to run. But um, then the next thing that happened was that in the lame duck section and session of Congress in 2010, I thought that Obama. Well, let me just say, I concluded he is not going to do what needs to be done. He's not going to say what needs to be said. So, well, if he wasn't going to do it and the Democrats in general have been lousy. We're, we're lousy at it at that time. Not anymore. Finally, as fascism is practically knocking at the gates, the Democrats are now speaking the way they needed to be speaking a long time ago. But anyway, I figure, well, why don't I step in? You know, there, there's an empty platform there. So that's how come I decided to do it. And and that is great. What I What I liked about the way you spoke in the video that we just showed there is you enumerated not only the hypocrisy, because we talk about the hypocrisy of the, the, the Republican Party all of the times. Yes, all parties have their level of hypocrisy. But there was this level of hypocrisy that you showed 
uh, in the past, supporting responsibility, now not supporting responsibility with the Affordable Care Act having a mandate. You spoke about um, all these things that Republicans used to be for. And Obama, instead of an adapting, let's say, a progressive way to accomplish things, he chose their method. The Affordable Care Act was a Republican he, bill. He, 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 he's such a conciliator right. that, that he thought that um, we can get this done in a way that brings Americans together. And so he, he, he with respect to climate change, it was cap and trade. Right. But all that was worthy. The thing is, they weren't interested in working with him to achieve things. And that became clear. Oh, I, I think I, I think I started writing about it in early April and he'd been inaugurated in January. It was already clear and he never seemed to get it. I, I don't understand that. You know, so I wonder if he didn't get it or he just thought he could get past it. The, interestingly, McConnell said, I think at the same time he was being inaugurated, he said his singular purpose was to ensure that uh, President Obama was a one term president. That came right out of the mouth of McConnell. And we yeah. have it on tape, you know. So, I mean, I, I don't know where Obama was as far as well. He just yeah, hoped we, he could we, get we don't, the important thing, I think, to stress is, you know, in terms of why I was running. Yeah, I, I, my, my business has been the truth, the pursuit of the truth, find things that are true and important and not widely recognized and, and put them out as best I can. Right. Whether it's on the radio or an op-ed piece or a book. I mean, that's what I've devoted myself to. And here was this the, this political party that was patently fraudulent, that was dealing in in lies and lacked integrity and, and and it wasn't being told to the american people that this is what it is the reason it was gaining in power was because the power arrayed against it the democratic party seemed clueless and we don't have to go into obama but anyway I, in that speech i say the lie is so often defeating the truth that now is the time that truth telling needs its champion. And, and so I, I jumped in to try to expose in this very red area just what the people were supporting, which was something quite different from what they were being sold. Now, let me ask you something, doctor. And, and I, 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 I go back and forth a whole lot. And, and let me set it up this way. After we've had four years of Donald Trump as president of the United States, and everybody got a chance to see exactly who this person was, the evil that that reigned within his psyche and his and we following. Can see also just what the Republican Party was, the, the two go together. Right. After that, if, after that reality. And, you know, I, I it, it, it keeps me this one keeps me awake at night. Well, I'm sorry. And I, and, it, and it goes this way. He garnered an additional seven million votes. And let me qualify that a bit. Donald Trump. Se 70 million. No, no what, what I'm saying and what I'm saying, he got let's say he got 63 million or, or, or however million he oh, got. I, I see. He he increased the number he of people. He increased by seven million. And and imagine Joe Biden now is the president that has received the most 
vote in America proper. And all and, that and, means is that everybody was very keyed up for the 2020. I, I get it. But it's scary to note that had we just maintained Hillary Clinton's winning number, which she won in 2016, uh, yeah. it, she it, would have lost. Yeah, it's, I mean, we got to look at these things in terms of percentages. But in, in you know the, the the alarming thing is that um, in 2020, something like uh, what 48 percent of uh, American voters voted for Donald Trump. Right, and, and that brings up I don't know if you want to go there or not, but one one. I mean, I'm very proud of that speech. Uh, you know, it's nice. No, no, have, that that's I, but, that's the key of the speech. I'm trying to say but, your speech but, but, spoke but, about. But, hold on a second. Your speech spoke about two important pieces. You spoke about the evil you didn't, uh, the evil and brokenness of the American society. You alluded to that in the speech, mm. and then you actually brought out the known hypocrisy of the party, and then. We and you and I always talk about the inherent goodness of most people. How did we garner that percentage of the electorate? Yeah, that, uh, what I wanted to say is there's a place in that speech where I expose that I don't understand something. I I believed something when I gave that speech that um, that turned out not to be nearly as true as I thought. See, I fell in love with the conservatives of this area back in the 90s when I was doing radio shows. Mm -hmm. So I had a real attachment. I had been exposed to some of the beauties. I mean, in, in a healthy society, the conservative side of things and the liberal side of things will be in some sense equally filled with virtue and equally filled with defects. I got a chance to see the uh, the virtues of conservatism, and I appreciated it. So in that speech, I say, we've got to go out there in this district and in, in the nation and help these you know, good, decent conservatives realize that the, this Republican Party is not the friend of their own deep values. Well, what I've discovered is I do believe it's that they do hold those values. I experienced that. But I misunderstood what it would take to bring them back to aligning themselves with those values that they declare. I don't understand this. And we've talked about this last time we, we, we spoke. I, you know, if, if you're a if you believe in good Christian values, how can you embrace a leader and a political party that are just the opposite of what Jesus preached. If you're, if you love the Constitution like these people do, you know, like the you know, that the people they're appealing to when they walk, the Republicans walk around in Congress, you know, holding these, uh, you know, having these little booklets of the Constitution in their pocket. If you believe in the Constitution, if you revere it, how can you possibly? Align yourself with a political party that's right in front of our eyes assaulted the whole constitutional order. And, and I could go on with, the, with other things about conservative values that are directly opposed by the force that they support in the political arena. And when I gave that speech, I thought, 
if I could just, you know, reach these people with a with a clear message and, and show them the truth. You know, that Bob Goodlatte and the, the tip as t- typical of the Republicans of that time and still was really not sh- he he was talking, he was getting voters to believe that he was about something different from what he was about. You know, we saw what he, he he's a he's a party hack for a party that had gone over to the dark side. So now um, you said uh, you misunderstood. And I wonder if it is that you, first of all, I don't think you misunderstood at all. You said something there when you talk about uh, working with conservatives, seeing the value in conservatives and liberals. I always, I've done some uh, living room conversation. Uh, There's a group called living room conversations where you sit down and people from different sides of the aisle get together and they have a civil conversation. And one of the questions they asked me from around the, the other table is, why is it that you uh, engage conservatives? And I said, because I need them. And they said, why do you need them? I say, I need them because I need to I need to backstop my thought process. I need to be sure that I want to hear all the spears coming at my thought process so that if I need modification, they would pro- provide that assistance in in stress testing my beliefs. Mm-hmm. And and then uh, they agreed. All the conservatives agreed with that statement. The progressives agreed with that statement. But the thing that, and I think you agree with that statement based on what you said. But, okay, I, but there is this stuff called extend, existentialism. Existent, if you believe you are in, ex, uh, your existential nature is at, at uh, in jeopardy. If your existence is in jeopardy, the things that you would do uh, defies your own morals, your thoughts. Well, when I when I did my radio show, I would introduce it by saying, let's talk with each other in a spirit of genuine inquiry and mutual respect. Right. As if we might actually learn something from each other. And, and I had a wonderful time doing that with conservative, traditional, fundamentalist, you know, Republican, right. Confederate, you know, <laughs> uh, something changed. Um, I, I, I admire that you can sit down with the conservatives and, and if you're getting from them something that's useful to you in terms of like what you were saying that help you develop your, your own understanding coming up against opposing points of view, you know, that's what that's what I was trying to do in the 1990s. I can't do that now. I have no interest in doing that now because because what's happened between the 1990s to the conservative mind is something quite profound. And 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 uh, I, I've got no patience. You know, I found as time went by, it became impossible to have a constructive conversation, at least on my terms. I, you know, okay. I mean, we liberals like to say, well, you know, they don't necessarily see the same thing as we see. So, you know, nobody's got a monopoly on the truth. I'm not willing to deal with this set of issues today in, in those terms. I, I, I know some things and they are diluted in some ways. And I have found that there is no constructive conversation to be had in a dialogue form. So I have reverted uh, 
you know, the dialogue form that I loved in the 1990s. Now I'm in monologue form. I put out a piece every week uh, in the newspapers, which is an attempt uh, to, to challenge them. I, I'm not saying I'm accomplishing anything. Maybe I am. I wouldn't know either way, because in that subculture, if you start to think, yeah, maybe this guy's right, you're not going to say anything publicly. You know, there's no there's no tolerance in that side for any kind of heretic, you know, but uh, I, I I actually have doubts that I'm having any effect. I want to but interrupt you right there because I, I want to caution you for one thing. No, you are having an effect. Um, uh, I don't remember how remember how I found you actually, but um, it is after reading some of your material that I said that I wanted to get involved with a better human story. But above and beyond that, um, I think it's imp imp imperative that progressive voices, whether you're doing it in monologue form as you are resound to doing it now, or whether you're doing it in dialogue form or any other form, I think uh, like we attack a virus with two different avenues. That's what yeah, we have. To I do. agree. I agree entirely. Uh, I mean, in our previous conversation, uh, I, I said that we were going to have uh, two Republican couples over for dinner. Do you right. Mean? Yeah. And we had a wonderful time. Oh, they did come. They did. Oh, yeah. It was, uh, you know, a little bit over a week ago. Okay. Everybody had. I mean, it was just fabulous. We did not talk politics. But to have, to create to have that great human contact is part of part of healing the country. Now, doesn't that tell you something, Doc? Doesn't that tell you something? Well, um, what are you thinking? I mean, it tells me a lot of things, but nothing that contradicts what I was saying before. No, it's not about contradiction okay, here. Okay, so it, what, it, what is it? What does it tell it you? It is actually saying that you know, if if uh, if we don't allow externalities to come in to to throw out these differences, you could probably have dinner with that person five times a week and enjoy that person five times a week for, for the 95% of things that matter to both of you. I had a piece in the in, in the paper uh, two days ago Yeah, uh, it was about, called Good Propaganda and Evil Propaganda. Right. And, and um, it went into the whole Fox News exposure that's coming right. out of the Dominion suit. And I, I, I defined evil propaganda, and, and I and I lumped what we're seeing about Fox with Lily Riefenstahl's "The Triumph of the Will." But I, I do it deftly, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, it's evil propaganda. Anyway, the same guy that we had a wonderful time together at dinner, not talking politics, as he often does, came online where my piece was appearing. The newspaper, and, yeah. Yeah, and and gave a, a sort of um, re, not a refutation, but yeah, basically saying, well, you know, the truth lies between two. And then he gave a big quote from the Federalist uh, Society. Right. Uh, it was garbage. I mean, it was just garbage. And anyway, we had we did have that engagement in public. I responded to what he put on, and uh, I actually wrote him a thousand words publicly, uh, laying it out. So we have the face to face. We're we're making the human contact and 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 feeling very fond of each other. And then in the public sphere. We interact as civil warriors, adversaries. Now, let me ask you, did he respond to your response? Yeah, a bit. And what I got mostly from his brief response was, 
let's leave it at that. <laughs> and, and that's actually, believe it or not, when you have a conservative that tells you, let's leave it at that, that is a very positive accomplishment. I want to, uh, I want to ask you uh, to go along with the blog here to send me a link to the post that you uh, did in the, that particular post because okay. it's apropos. I may break myself a note. Now, um, we're, we're coming close to the end of this wonderful discussion. And what I'd like you to do for me is uh, give me your thoughts about now that now that we've revisited your campaign, if you had to give that speech today, what would it sound like, given that you are still or you would still be running in a very red, I guess it's a plus 20 or so red uh, district? Well, is, is the question... What would be my campaign? I mean, this was a big Labor Day banquet where I gave this. Right. Um, so are you saying, let's say it's it's Labor Day 2024. I'm back on the ticket. And, and you want you want your you want that guy that you had dinner with. You um, are soliciting his vote because that's who's going to bring you over the top. You know, that speech was delivered to a Democratic bank. I understand. So that speech was designed um, not to move uh, normal Republican voters. Uh, that speech was designed to mobilize the Democrats to go out there and fight, if not to have me win, at least J Tim Kaine, who was there in the audience, right. and Barack Obama. Who was you were going to bring election. in that additional, the Delta within a red county. Absolutely. It, it, it was delivering what I felt was the profoundest way of understanding uh, what was at stake in this election. Right. So how would you do it today in well, front to of a red audience? A red audience. Well, the first of all, I wouldn't get a red audience because they, they shut you out. Secondly, you know, that would be a real, um, that would be a whole different thing. It wouldn't be a version of that speech. It would, um, I, I would probably compose something that spoke to the heart I would probably try to conjure up what's what's beautiful in the conservative culture that I've encountered before. And then draw the contrast with certain concrete things that that are visible because of what the force that they're supporting is doing. You know, like, love thy neighbor as thyself or do unto other, you know, okay. That, or, um, you know, uh, we are a nation of laws and not of men. Um, you know, trying to make, to, to, to present those in such a way that that part of their heart that they've tuned out, kindles awake. And then draw a picture of something, you know, like um, in, in the Bible, uh, King David has sinned um, by sending the husband of uh, of Bathsheba, whom he lusts after, Uriah the the Hittite, off to battle to into to a place where he'll be killed. And the prophet Samuel comes to David, and he tells him a story about a rich man, who, in order to entertain a guest takes not the uh, a lamb from his own large flocks, 
but steals his poor neighbor's only lamb and serves it to his guest. And David says, that man should be put to death. And the prophet says, thou art the man. Now, I would try to do something like that in sequence of the various values that they hold that would say that man should be put to death and then to show them you're so this is what you're supporting Andy Smokler thank you so kindly one more time for bringing us your thought process here on politics done right thank you we have a special guest. Anyway, we are going to get right into it. Start in. David Cobb on decolonizing economics. A leak on Discord proves the TikTok bans a fraud. Guns struck again. David Cobb on decolonizing economics. David Cobb is a prolific political, social justice, racial justice, environmental justice activist, and the people's lawyer. Join us. He joins us to talk about decolonize, the decolonizing economic summit. You know, David and I go back a long time from Move to Amend to many other places and all kind of organizations. And of course, he's been doing this for decades. David Cobb continues his tireless work to affect positive democratic change. He is one of the key organizers of the Decolonizing Economic Summit, a three-day conference that serves as a space to exchange experiences and information, strengthen alliances and networks, devise strategies to decenter colonial uh, systems and implement concrete solutions to heal the land and people. Over a thousand people participated in 2022 and even more are expected in 2023. And without further ado, David Cobb, how are you doing, my brother? Oh, Egberto, hello, hello, hey. howdy, as we say in Texas. It is such a pleasure to hear your voice. It's a pleasure to hear yours, man. You know, uh, I, anytime I hear you, I get spirited. I get, you know, I, I always, let me let me put it this way, because like I told told you, we go, go back a long time, and we've spent working, moved to a man, locked into homes, devising strategies all over this country, and there's one thing I can say about David Cobb. And that he is, he's always inspiring and not only inspiring, because inspiring is not enough, he's always there with concrete policies that say, if we do this. So anyhow, welcome to Politics Done Right, my brother. Talk to me. Well, thank you so much, Egberto, and thank you for the opportunity to speak to KPFT listeners. Uh, for folks who may remember back in the day, I am a native Houstonian myself. I've been on KPFT Airways many times as a guest and a host. Uh, it is... Uh, my original community radio station. So it's a pleasure to be here. I'm especially excited to share that this Decolonizing Economic Summit is online and virtual. So if anything you hear inspires and entices you, you can participate simply by going to the website decolonizingeconomicsummit.org. That's two S's there. The economics is plural. Uh, and join us. It's completely free. You can make a donate, free will donation, KPFT style if you can, but the point is it is free. And as you said, Egberto, the whole point of this is to come together to develop a shared analytical framework and to make plans that we can implement. Uh, because, you know, I often say that theory without practice is mere contemplation. There you go. 
practice without theory is just doing stuff. You know, you might do something transformational without a plan, but it'll be by accident. So the point is, how do we get sharpen our analysis about what we want, and then how do we develop plans to get there? And where I have been spending the majority of my time is around what the great philosopher Andre Gorse called non-reformist reform. That is to say, things that we can do right now to make people's lives better, to win achievable reforms, but as part of a strategic plan to undermine the logic of capital, to undermine the power of the billionaire class. And those non-reformist reforms include, but are not limited to, public banking, participatory budgeting, worker-owned cooperatives, community land trust, universal basic income, locally-owned energy production and distribution models. The point is, Edberto, the point is, KTFT listeners, these things are happening in various spots all across the country. What we're trying to do is cohere a broad movement to democratize the economy. Now, anybody who uh, goes to that website, because again, like, uh, first of all, like David said, it is free. It's a free conference over three days. We'll actually see the number, you know, I, every time I go there, it seems like the number increases, the number of participant uh, grassroots and other groups that make up a part of this this network that you're putting together. Like you said, last year you had a thousand people. You're likely to have close to two thousand this year, which is sort of a wonderful thing to see that people are realizing that we re. You know, something that we've been preaching here, David, and I want you to pick up on this for me, is that a lot of people are feeling down. You know, they feel like they don't have that they can't make a difference. It's it's all over. We just have to oblige by what going on now uh you it, you've always been able to show folks that no it, it is just gonna be what you make it to be why don't you expand on that well thank you Egberto. and I'll, I look i'll be very candid and transparent with you and kpft listeners and that is this it depends on what side of the bed i get up on mm-hmm. because some days i get up and i think oh my god there's no way that we can win the billionaire class has all the power and they spend billions of dollars every year to suppress our ideas, uh, to, to propagandize people, and to, and to disempower us, and to distract us, right? And there's just no way we can overcome that. But then other days, I get up on the other side of the bed, and I think, there's no way we can lose. It takes them billions of dollars to try to keep people so distracted from what they really want in their hearts, what they know in their head we really need. So I intentionally try to get up on that side of the bed every day with the knowledge that people before us have faced even more insurmountable odds. And I mean that clearly. Like, let's look at it. From the abolition of slavery, women getting the right to vote, the creation of the Social Security Administration or unemployment insurance, workers' compensation laws, pure food and drug laws, the labor movement. For goodness sakes, Egberto, the entire history of this country has been people who face bluntly longer odds than we're facing now, and by engaging in serious strategic thinking, collective organizing, they made transformational change. We can do it, too. Absolutely. So, and uh, you know, when you said it depends on what side of your bed you get off, right? I'm like, well, somehow it must be that I only find you when you get off on that, that other side of the bed. Because <laughs> I've, I've never heard the other part before. It depends on what side of the bed I, I get up. But you know, the, the truth of the matter is that 
I am starting to see effectively uh, over the last several, and not only the last several months, but over the last several years, a larger percentage of people engaging, which is, I remember you and I sitting down talking and you said, Egberto, if we get to, I think the night number was 3%. Uh, you said uh, at 3%, you know, we, we really have that movement that's actually, uh, that, that is actually probative. Your thoughts on that or your comments on that? Yeah, well, that, that's actually, that 3% comes out of the work of Gene Sharp, uh, mm-hmm. who studied revolutionary processes. And what, what I, and I, again, I want to, uh, in the spirit of the great African revolutionary Amakal Kalabar, uh, mask no difficulties, tell no lies, claim no easy victories. Uh, because we are seeing a 3% uh, tipping point of folks, not just who agree with us, but who are willing to collectively act in concert. I'll tell you this, Egberto, our, the left, and I mean explicitly the left, not just soft left liberals, but the left, I believe we have enough power and capacity to greatly influence the U.S. empire. I don't think that we're in a position to overtake it at this moment, but we could absolutely have so much more uh, import and effect. But the problem is that we are not sufficiently coordinated. Right. We don't really know each other, and we don't have a program and a plan, right? Exactly. So that's part of what this Decolonizing Economic Summit is, is to bring us together into deep strategy around us. The second thing I want to be candid about is the far right and the fascists are equally approaching uh, that 3% of folks who are ready to throw down. Oh. I say it with clarity mm-hmm. uh, and no... no uh, no happiness, but with sincerity. I believe that we are witnessing the neoliberal center collapsing, and there's either going to be some version of what I'll call eco-socialism or a decolonized return to power with regenerative economics uh, and collaboration and sustainability, or some version of fascism. I just don't see, like, uh, in this historic conjuncture and in this moment, those two things being able uh, to coexist. One side or the other will be the dominant narrative of this country and indeed of the world. The thing that concerns me the most when we, when we, as we are talking these issues, right, is how, uh, how, what a large percentage of the population that doesn't see uh, what's really getting ready to happen. And, and a lot of it has to do with us being centralized solely here in the United States and not seeing all the other things that are occurring throughout the world that, 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 that's, that shows that we're in trouble. Your thoughts? Well, I am glad you brought it up and said it so explicitly. Here's my big picture view, Egberto, that we are at the beginning of a global ecological collapse. It's not coming. It's here. It's right. in the beginning stages of true collapse. But wait. There's more, because we're also not just at late-stage capitalism. This is end-stage capitalism. Right, Richard. And by that I mean there's always been internal inherent contradictions of capitalism. But I'm saying something different. I'm saying that today with automation, technology, robotics, that what we're seeing is the mass transformation of social, political, and economic relationships. The ruling elite can no longer extract the surplus value of the worker for profits because we are moving into literally laborless or workerless production. It's beginning. 
the digital fabrication world, that, that this new era, the reason that you're seeing fascism emerge now is because of the political crisis that's coming. We have an ecological crisis, we have an economic crisis, and those two crises are creating a political crisis. And the political crisis is not that, oh, the ruling class cannot solve racism or sexism. The ruling class of this political system was never designed to do that. I'm saying something different. I'm saying that the current political system cannot actually maintain order. That's why we're seeing the January 6th insurrectionists. Now, I take it as my job, Egberto, to bring as many uh, people as I can into the worldview of eco-socialism and recognizing that there is enough for everybody to not just survive, but to thrive, to live rich and meaningful lives without exploiting anyone, without oppressing anyone, but the fascist worldview of, you know, uh, nationalism and hyper-militarism, um, like, that's a lie, uh, but it appeals to some segments. So people who are already fascists, I've kind of given up on them, but I am still constantly trying to persuade people to break to progressive populism. You know, it's interesting because I've had this discussion. I have interviewed Richard Wolf, economist, Professor Richard Wolf from, I think, Amherst, uh, about three or four times. And every, every, every time I interview him, it, it comes to, you know, you're, you're at the point where you said, my God, we're at end state capitalism. <clears throat> and every time that I've spoken to him, each time, probably six months apart, he comes closer and saying, we're almost there. And we take a look at what's happening on the banking system right now. I have a young man, Patrick, that's going to be discussing this issue called the con that we have going on in our economic system. That, that's all provable, you know. And, and, and when you state it and that you're doing a conference, a summit, to kind of highlight these issues with people, I think it's very important. Tell us a little bit about this summit again for those who are maybe joining us late because I think this is important for people to get there and also what happens after the summit where can people find the information that was developed throughout the summit well thank you for that and I'm happy to tell you that Professor Rick Wolf will literally be on a panel with uh, our good friend Kali Akuno of Operation Jackson and others on the subject, what is to be done? Right. Uh, so, uh, and we'll also have Emily Colano, co-coordinator of the U.S. Solidarity Economy Network. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll have uh, a host of national leaders and thinkers. DecolonizingEconomicSummit.org is an online invitation to strategize what is the world that we want to live in and how do we get there. How do we both decolonize and also meet people's material needs uh, right here, right now? And I'm also happy to tell you, if you register, it will put you in line to get the recorded sessions of every single one of these sessions. So, folks, so, don't forget, register where again for that, that, free, uh, that free conference? DecolonizingEconomicSummit.org. And, you know, you know, folks, in, in this life, there's not a whole lot of free conferences anymore. 
this is going to be well worth your while. And if you, when you go to that website and see the amount of grassroots organizations that are that are actually doing things, and of course, uh, David played a very important point uh, part in getting all of this organized, as he always has. So, um, so it is it is important, folks, that you go to the website. Sign up as 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 he says. There will be uh, you will be able even if you don't catch it in real time, you'll be able to get all parts at subsequent time. But it's something to be seen. Uh, it, when when we talk when in in this speech or this discussion here, it brings back memory of that documentary that we made, Legalize Democracy. And uh, why don't you? Because I think some of that is in some of the context that we covered, where we went from uh, th- th- this side, this sort of a society that was very very limited in access to for for the for the majority slowly building building up why don't you kind of elaborate some on that and how it relates to what you're doing well thank you for that so uh, listeners as Egberto is referencing he and I and uh, others formed an organization called move to amend which was a reaction to the horrific Citizens United versus Federal Election Commission that did two things. One, uh, it legalized bribery uh, by saying that uh, wealthy individuals and corporations could give unlimited money in elections. It was it was premised on two completely illegitimate, two court-created uh, ridiculous ideas. One, that the expenditure of money is the equivalent of speech. Money is property, it's not speech. Uh, I mean, money can amplify speech, which means that the wealthy can shout while the rest of us desperately try to talk to each other. Uh, but the, it's not just that money is speech. It also premised upon the equally odious, equally ridiculous idea that a corporation is a person with inherent inalienable constitutional rights of an individual. So legalized democracy uh, was an effort to teach people the history of not just corporate power, but corporate rule. How the concept of corporate constitutional rights, so-called corporate personhood, has literally made it illegal uh, to have genuine democracy. Because, Egberto, no matter how hard we fight uphill battle uh, to try to get good laws passed, uh, and that's hard enough, but even it, when we do win them, then corporate lawyers can go into court and argue that those laws have somehow violated the constitutional rights of corporations. That doctrine has been used to overturn environmental protection laws, worker safety laws, public health laws. There's a whole series of them. And deeper still, Egberto, that concept of the threat of corporate personhood has completely diminished most people's ability to think about what is possible. So part of what we're doing at decolonizingeconomicsummit.org is to say, no, no, we have a vision for a completely different world and a plan to get there. And we're going to have to confront the illegitimate doctors of corporate constitutional rights just as clearly as we had to overturn the outrageous idea of separate but equal or the idea that women are not people. Like At the end of the day, we're talking about peaceful revolution. Absolutely. So, folks, I want to I want to give a little bit of context to something that you said there with the person uh, corporate personhood that, you know, when we talk in that terminology, David, sometimes we say corporate personhood or corporations as persons and people don't quite get it. I just want to illustrate to them. I I don't remember if this is one of the things I had in my book or not, but I told them that I, I usually specify that. 
a corporation, if, if we the people pass a law, local law, state law, that allows, uh, uh, that prevents a corporation from doing something that we feel is materially wrong for our community, that corporation can turn around and sue as a person that what we are doing is infringing on that corporation's ability to make money or do whatever, and we are liable for said damages as taxpayers to give that private corporations because we abridge their rights, correct? That is exactly right. And Egberto, uh, like I, I want to lift up the fact that Egberto Viles is not a lawyer. He's a smart person, uh, but has just profoundly and astutely and accurately described that legal concept. Uh, and it's ridiculous, right? Remember, Egberto and KPFT listeners, that corporations are artificial entities that are created only through uh, the state chartering process. Anybody can form a business, but if you want the privilege, not the right, if you want the privilege of limited liability, which is literally to say we're limiting our liability to expose uh, for uh, legal harms or remedies that we may cause, if you want that privilege, then only the state legislature, through a governmental action, can grant that privilege. So there is no reason that we, the people, through our elected state representatives, cannot say, if you want this privilege, you do not have, as a, co a, a group of investors or shareholders, the collective rights. Individual humans have rights, Egberto. Corporations are artificial entities. They're tools, nothing more. They can be used for wonderful things. But more and more, the transnational corporation are used for horrific things. Great. Well, before before I ask you to give us a closer, I want to see if Tori has anything to ask you. Tori is always a good listener. Uh, he's, do, he's doing the engineering for me today, and uh, you know he loves the work that you do. So go ahead, Tori. Oh, I've just been a big fan of David Cobb from back when he used to live in Houston, and uh, I remember when he was running for uh, for president in the Green Party. I mean, this guy is just extremely impressive you know his energy and commitment uh to all things good and he's you're in david you're my you were my favorite green party candidate <laughs> of all well, that's an incredible that that's an incredible uh, uh compliment and especially you know uh, i'm not going to out you and your your politics by, by using any descriptive words but i can say tory is not usually inspired by any electoral process or a candidate so uh, i take that as a high you know it's funny david i was about to say that i was about to say if you're getting a compliment from tory you 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 must have been imp or you must be impressive well, <laughs> well you've been out of the you've been out of the loop for a long time dave i haven't seen you in houston and uh but since i mean this is like from before before bernie got into the national scene running for president but i've been a bernie guy for a long time now so <laughs> anyway, give me a closer. Uh, give me a closer, David. Let's get let's get get on to the other subject. But I will go ahead and let us know how people can get involved with this again. Again, the, the, it's the Decolonizing Economic Summit. Cleverly, our URL is decolonizingeconomicsummit.org. It's a free conference. Uh, over a thousand people last year. We expect to double that this year. Uh, come and join theorists, strategists, practitioners who are not just thinking about but actually doing the work to build from the bottom up 
uh, eco-socialism from below, uh, an ability to actually engage electoral politics without becoming electoral fetishists, to build the movement that we so desperately need and so richly deserve to transform this society. And I'm going to say not just to create a new society, but return to the society that we lived in before the enclosure movement, before capitalism and industrialism. Remember Egberto, remember KPFT, every human being alive today descends from indigenous people. It's our birthright to be in right relationship with each other and with land and sea and our relatives, other living creatures. Well, David, uh, uh, it's one, in our chat here, Alistair said, hey, brother, I just registered. So, uh, you know. Hey, I, thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. Uh, let, me, let me tell you, David, it's always my honor to speak to you. Um, uh, I, I, I intend to have you on a hell of a lot of times because, you know, we need to make sure that people know that they are already empowered as American citizens to be what they want to be and to have what they've earned. So thank you so kindly no for having me. I'm going to conclude with this. Egberto, yes. But it doesn't just have to be during elections, right? Absolutely. It shouldn't be only. To play, but there, it, this work needs to happen in between elections. As My well. God, I'm glad you brought that up. Folks, they, we are supposed to be working continuously on, on, on guiding, speaking, learning, educating all of us all together. All right, brother. You have a great one. Have a great one. Bye-bye. David Cobb and Andrew Smookler, two important voices in the progressive movement. Please remember, support the program at politicsdoneright.com slash support. Again, once again, please support our program to ensure that we can get this message out, politicsdoneright.com slash support. Well, folks, we're at the end of the program. My name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Unright, and you know how I end this, baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join.